Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Touch it down, Bundy. Good evening, Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> Good evening, hi. <laughs> Good evening, mate. <laughs> Good process, mate. Um, I want to talk about the format of the World Cup. Get it off your chest. 20 teams is a format you arrive at when you want to have more games than you need. It is totally pointless to have groups of five in this tournament. And at the same time, you can't really have five groups of four. And you'd be stretching it if you push it out to uh, six groups of four. And then you'd still have the problem of getting eight quarterfinalists out of that without having annoying three-team groups. So the answer is really to have a four-pool of four-team, 16-team tournament. But then we wouldn't have Portugal. So I want to know what the solution is and if there is one. I, I have a solution, maybe not the solution. My solution is more Portugal-based and tournament-based. And my feeling on that is that Portugal should be organized as a club team. And I think you have the name for them. Os Lobos. And they should... It's nickname of the national team as well. They should compete in a league. So I would say this for a number of European teams. Uh, so the teams from Spain, who are, were very, extremely close to uh, appearing in the last two World Cups. Spain, Portugal, um, Belgium the Netherlands should all have be organized as their national teams should be organized as club teams and they should compete in a professional league which means that we'd have to think of names for all of them so I was thinking of the Dutch orange men we can spitball that <laughs> <laughs> the Belgian chocolate men uh, sorry, that's terrible. So, so if they compete, for example, in um, as I, as I was calling it earlier, because my brain went to the Celtic League, <laughs> and as you corrected me, it's actually the Magners League. Um, so that way, they play loads of games. So you're not talking about exposure. Oh, we need to play you know six games per per season to make to make that team viable. You get to play 28 games. You put them in the the uh, Parker Pen Shield. And as a result, you have more viable teams because they're run by unions. And it's one, essentially one club team per union. As those unions get stronger and as those players get more exposure, someone will end up playing in, in England or France in particular. And then that's how you bring newer players into the mix. So my, that would be my preference for growing the game. Growing the game to me has become the same sort of, uh, for the benefit of Irish rugby phrase, in that anybody who says it, I immediately think you have an ulterior motive. So growing the game is not about making players richer. It's about getting more people playing the game and watching the game. You don't do that by saying you're... Like players talk about growing the game all the time. And 
you can see that you can see the hamsters running around their head going, that means I can make more money. I don't give a fuck how much money a player makes. And I'm, I'd much rather see more people playing the game, more people watching the game, but especially more people playing the game. Ruby's a player's well, game. More people playing the game at a higher level, more people watching the game to allow the players play it at a higher level. Yeah. And like, this is really an end of season chat. Like this topic is so enormous, but I think a few of the things that come to mind immediately from just what you mentioned are what Ireland did, where there was talk, when the Heineken Cup came up, there was talk of like, are Gary Owen going to be in it? And like Frank Hogan's name got mentioned in particular, that, that Hogan, Gary Owen were strong enough at the time. They were all Ireland champions and that Frank Hogan had enough entrepreneurialism and was enough of an impresario and was charismatic enough that he he might argue Gary Owen's way in and they would compete at the top tier. And as it took, like it took Tom Kiernan, and I don't think like his sole motivation was despite Frank Hogan, but you know, like it, it was it was Tom Kiernan in particular who had the the prominence and the respect garnered by being captain of Ireland, by being captain of the lines, by being Ireland's leading point scorer at one stage, by being a very successful coach at both provincial and national level, and then being a very capable administrator. So like he he had the kudos from his playing career. So it, like it wasn't just anybody who did this, but that's essentially, like, it's essentially the Ireland model. Whereas you look at what England have done intentionally or otherwise, where they've got the private guys from the clubs arguing with their union and you go, that hasn't worked for them. And you look at the the financial travise that the English clubs had that we discussed at the end of last season, you look at like, where does that leave their union? You look at England having won the 2003 World Cup and not really having benefited from that legacy. I, I would argue that like, well, I would argue it's, I don't think there is much of an argument. English rugby is weaker now, 20 years after winning the World Cup than it was and like I don't know if that's like a tautology like if it's if it's not a contradiction like of course it was strong when I won the World Cup but what you would think should have been an opportunity to get stronger hasn't proven to be the case and then you go what are they competing against like is are England's clubs competing against its union is England's union competing against other unions and its own clubs is England's union competing against England's clubs and French clubs? Like, do you end up in a situation where if you have a professional league, those players can, like, one league is, it's going to be one ring that rules them all. So one league is going to become, like, the dominant one. And if not all the best players, most of the best players go and play there. The money is good there. The other leagues don't try to compete and they essentially become feeder leagues. And then you just sort of go, like, at what stage is this tolerable? Because, like, take the example of the Portuguese and say, if your team... So you're going to have that club versus country conflict in Portugal. So you have to have somebody who's charismatic enough and who can politically astute enough that can take all the Portuguese rugby clubs and just go, we're going to have one team and it's going to be based in Lisbon. And the Porto guys are going to go, well, no, 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 we're going to have to split the games. You just go, no, we're not splitting the games. We're not splitting training venues. We're playing all our games in Lisbon. And they have to be able to do that, you know, for example. And then you sort of go, okay, what happens if you've got really good Portuguese players and the French teams come along? You're going to want, like, you're going to want your best players playing in France in the top 14 because it just gives you more good players. It means that 
So say the five best players from Portugal leave and they go and play in France. Your professional team in Portugal still has to fill those positions. So they're going to fill them at a professional league. You're going to have somebody else in France paying your best players and they're going to be available to play for your national team. So like you want to become an exporting team. Now, the issue comes when you're bigger than Portugal. Say you're Wales and you go, Do you know what? We're just going to have three pro teams. We're going to cut the Dragons and we're going to accept the fact that 12 of our best players are going to go and play in France in the top 14 because, you know, it works. And you just sort of go, do you accept that that's the way the league has to go? So I I think one of the reasons there's 20 teams is America. And America aren't in this World Cup. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of looking at it going, oh, what's the difference between 16 and 20 teams? You're going, well, it's America qualifying. Like with 20 teams, America, the Eagles should always be in it. So it always leaves that market available. And now the Eagles or the Canadians aren't in it, but the Eagles in particular. And the US is going to host the next World Cup. So like rugby is really, uh, like I was thinking about it. I wouldn't say it's at, at an existential crisis, but it's it's at that kind of tipping point that I don't think it's going to tip where it has a problem. And you can see it with Portugal, who are everybody's darlings. How are they going to get any bigger or any better? Like, how do you grow Portuguese rugby in such a soccer mag country, which, is, which isn't big enough to have, like, a sizable rump of players? Like, if it was the Germans, you go, do you know what? You don't need that big a percentage of the Germans for them to be good because mm. they've got 80 million people. The Portuguese have 10. Um, so it's going to be eight times harder for them to be as good as Germany, you know, whatever with all the caveats like if they were in Germany's or if Germany in Portugal's position all that sort of stuff and you kind of go on like how do you grow it it's a niche sport it's a big niche sport but like how do you make it that it like what direction does it go in because the last World Cup is in Japan which is a big country big population wealthy country has its own professional like the money is good in, in Japan and then the next, this one, is in France. Big country, best league in the world, wealthy country. The next World Cup is in America. Big country, wealthy country, has its own league, didn't qualify for the last World Cup. Is it going to be as well attended? How are they going to market it? What price are the tickets going to be? Most people who support rugby speak English, or else Argentina, like it's it's a straight-line flight up for them, no time zones. So again, you sort of go, okay, like is it going to be an issue? Are people going to go to it? I think, I think people are probably going to go to it. But, you know, like how, how does it ever get bigger than that? How does it ever get bigger than it has done? And really, I think, like rugby's a great amateur sport, but it's, it's really, it's grappling still with professionalism. I don't think professionalism has been really bad for it, but like it, it hasn't grown the game. The rules, like the laws are rules, laws, whatever. Like they're too complicated. Um, it's... Like it, it's it's like it's too difficult to understand. You see six and seven year olds playing it, and you're just like, ah, just coach, like just let let a lot of stuff go. Like, yeah, you know, you make know, them just, run forward, but like just and you have don't to pass run backwards. backwards. No, you don't. Like you just sort of go, you just like pass to somebody in your own team, and like if it's okay, you know, like if if it's a little bit forward, if they're good, it's grand. If that's it's a the lot same. forward, that's the same. If it's a lot forward, if they're not good, it's grand as long as they're passing to somebody on their own team. Like these are pluses. But you just see how complicated the game is compared to football. So that's really like there, there's a lot there, and it's more of an end of season type of where are we now take. But I th- I do think 
Portugal in the World Cup has brought it to a fore. Because, like, how can you not love Portugal? They're yeah. Deadly. I also think it's the product of us having a week off at the and me just <laughs> me watching or half watching some of those games and just thinking about why is there a bye week for us? And I, I mean, it works out for us in, in certain in certain sense that we don't have to play the week after we have that really physical game with uh, South Africa. But there's, there's a bye week for us because there's five teams in the pool and the teams that suffered the most from the fixtures being condensed were the smaller teams. That the better teams who had a seeding would have a week's gap and the smaller teams would have like four days between playing Portugal and then New Zealand and you're there going, what an absolute disaster. Like who wants, you know. So pick, say Georgia. Georgia play Portugal, then four days later they play the All Blacks. Or does it matter if they play the All Blacks then four days later they play Portugal, which is the match they might win. So that's the reason that there's a week gap. Oh, yeah, I know. It was was for plug on that. But like they're the two reasons. One, five-team pools. Two, give everyone a better opportunity at recovery. Um, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of asking about what's the fucking point of the uh, Sanzar Six Nations 16-team undevised tournament because we don't actually know what it is yet. But I guess it's something to bear in mind. While I'm complaining about the format of this tournament, whoever devised this absolutely insane tiebreaker system for the pools has fundamentally misunderstood the point of a pool where you measure all your results put together. It's not a, like, why does it serve us to get beaten more heavily by Scotland than it does to get beaten by? If we lose by 10 points, we're out. If we lose by 22 points, we're through. That makes no sense. That is stupidly organized. Whoever came up with this like system that the tiebreaker between three teams who've all beaten each other once, and it goes back to the head to head. Yeah, totally. Like it's see, absolute, I've never seen any system like that. And it's like someone said, Oh, it seems unfair that like a team who beat, you know, someone should get knocked out. By let's that let's, team. let's swap these someone's for actual well, countries. It seems like someone goes, Well, it seems unfair that Scotland should get eliminated by Ireland who have a better points difference than them. If Scotland beat Ireland. If Scotland beat Ireland. And it's like, well, that's not the no. Scotland lost to South Africa. Like it, and if you and if you don't want to take into massive running up the score against weak teams or tired teams, you can just discount the score against the weakest team, like FIFA or UEFA do in their uh, qualifiers. What I just have a, no explanation. It's like there's talk in South Africa because they're all mental, and they're none, none of them are listening to this. It's Grant. <laughs> they told me some of them do listen. About, they're talking about the. Uh, you know, like the fix is in. And I noticed this like a couple of weeks ago and I actually thought the scores would be more advantageous for South Africa. But it's absolutely, it beggars belief that that is the system. So yeah, so what you're saying is there's a certain route in which a given result in the Ireland versus Scotland game could knock out South Africa. Yes. Well, totally, because it's totally known. So it's not like the last two matches in the pool are kicking off at the same time and you know, you're getting updates on your phone or you're like, you're watching at the broadcast and you're going, oh, these guys are at such and such. It's going to happen. Yeah, green light, green light, green light. Build a score. (laughs) All the permutations for South Africa are known and South Africa have no more games and nothing can change. So you're in a situation where if you're Ireland and if you're 17 nil down with a minute to go, it serves you better to concede another score rather than score another score. Yeah. Like, exactly a try. So... For, for, to put it obvious, if you're seventeen, if they're seventeen points down, 
and Scotland score again a try, Ireland will go through and South Africa will go out. Whereas if Ireland score to make it a 10-point game, Ireland get knocked out. So like, what are you going to do? You know, so it's it's an unlikely situation of blah, blah, blah. But like, it could well happen. Well, it's, it's not. Sorry. It's, it is a possibility. It's, it's a possibility. Not, it's, it's not that I can't say it's unlikely, then it could well happen. But it's a it's one in... It's unlikely, but it's a possibility. It's a one in, you know... It's not a huge improbability. It's not one in a thousand. You know? Yeah. Like, what if Ireland get two red cards? Yeah. You know? But, but, but like, that's the maths of it. Like, at 17 points down, you know exactly what's going to happen. Like, sure, why, why wouldn't you give them a And then try? why would you criticise Ireland for letting... Did it, yeah. Yeah. Why would you criticise Team A <laughs> <laughs> for letting Team B score a try if it meant that they advanced the tournament? That's, like... How, like, sporting integrity was that you should compete your hardest to do your best. So, like, our best is getting to the next round. So I let them score a try. It's, yeah. It but say, say you competed your best for 79 minutes, and then after 79 minutes, you're 17 points down, and you go, do you know what? It's it's advantageous to us to not compete our best, and it's completely disadvantageous for us to compete our best. So what are you going to do? You and what's the difference between that and why am I why am I justifying this so much? Because it's not going to happen anyway. But it's, what's the difference between that and resting your players or rotating your players or Razzie not using his mall? Like, what's the difference? Imagine we did do that, and then we would say, "Well, you should have tried your hardest against us rather than hiding all your moves." Anyway, this is a very strange conversation that I'm leading. No, we've got it done though. Okay. So the next point about this tournament <laughs> and other tournaments. Uh, Italy also got hammered, leading to one call from Hugh Cahill, which I sent to you about maybe they should get kicked out of the Six Nations, which they own part of because they had a really bad game against New Zealand. In the World Cup. In the World Cup, in a different tournament. Um, And I feel like often the cries of relegation, promotion in the Six Nations for Italy, because they keep on losing, um, go hand in hand with the grow the game people. And it's like, this is... The keeping Italy in the Six Nations is the attempt to grow the game. It is the biggest step forward by like the ultra conservative home nations of rugby plus France, like the five nations and said, hey, well, this incredible tournament that we've had for a hundred years, we'll let another team into it. And it's only been 23 years and people can't stop giving out about Italy. Another team that's on their doorstep from a very wealthy economy. You go like, why is the guy, why would you kick them out? And then say, oh, we want to grow the game. Because you are absolutely making the game smaller if you kick the Italians out of the Six Nations. But you can also see the challenge in letting the Italians into the Six Nations and having a professional team and then sort of turning around and going, why aren't you better? Or you can, you can understand the frustration. And if, if you look at the decisions that the Italian Union made at the end of last season, where they're getting rid of Kieran Crowley, where they got rid of Steve Abood, where they're... They're going like Italy first. We want like our local rules. And you go, of course, like, it's it's not, not necessarily going to happen, but there's a high probability that somebody comes in and just says Italian rugby is going to look after its own. It's populist politics. And that's what happens. Basically populist politics and it's it's the same tune hummed in a slightly different way again and again and again is 
is a possibility. And you know what? In 10 years' time, it could change again, and the Italians could really focus at being a really good national team. But you look at it and you go, why isn't there an Italian team in Rome? Why isn't there an Italian team in Milan? One of them. Like, what is the point of Zebra, basically? What was the point of Aroni beforehand? Like, they play in, in the middle of a provincial district that's too small. Certainly Aroni did. Um, that's got too small population base. Like, why don't they play in Milan, which is really rich, which is a huge city? They can play in the San Siro now. They can play in the San... Yeah, but they can, they, they can play in probably... I'm, no, sure because- they, I'm sure they could find a stadium that has like a 20 or 30 capacity, thousand capacity. And I'm sure there would just be more people to go because it's a Milanese team. Like it's just in a bigger, like why have they never done that? And like, that's the most obvious thing with, with Italian rugby is like, why do they have a team in such a small population Yeah, center, why in the wrong towns? In the wrong towns. And this is nothing and- against Carlo but it's like having a professional team based in Carlo instead of Dublin. I thought you were going to talk about Carlo Angelotti because he's from Parma. I thought you were no. going to talk about Carlo Angelotti. <laughs> Who's Carlo? The, head of, the president of the Italian Federation. Just think about if they played in Milan, their jersey would be like red, blue and black stripes. And then about 18 different badges for sponsors over. <sighs> God, like that sounds like amazing. That, that jersey you gave me. Uh, so... Italy, let's talk about the World Cup. <laughs> Italy got absolutely whacked by the All Blacks who are back. Um, uh, we were foolish to write them off. We never actually wrote them off though, did we? No, I was quite confident that the All Blacks would beat Italy by 40 to 50. Uh, I just did not see that huge score. I thought Italy were past that. Um, so that was surprising. I didn't see it all. I was out. I saw the last 20 minutes which had about five tries in them one thing to bear in mind is that when you're down by that much you stop playing any sort of disciplined rugby because it hasn't got you anywhere in the first place so the more chances open up for the opposition team and let me just also point out that it wasn't worth Italy's time to stop conceding points if they beat France on the head-to-head they'll go through on a three-way tie Mm. so once again this is a stupid fucking system and to go back to the point about the All Blacks scoring so many points, the All Blacks are a team better equipped than anyone, including France, to score tries from anywhere and to rattle up points really quickly. Well, the only thing I'll say about that stupid system is it does keep the Italians competitive against the French going into that final match, rather than sort of saying, oh, we got annihilated against the All Blacks, so we just can't qualify because our points difference For you, is Carlo, in, the war is, is over. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you know, so you can you can see the argument for it. It's just the well. The, I mean, my argument would be if they've conceded, if they've lost a game ninety-seven points to seven, and they have no chance of qualifying, that's their own fucking fault. Like, what yeah, is, what's the it, second chance thing about? But at least it keeps it competitive going into that final match, rather than them just going into the French match completely capitulating. And like France are going to get through anyway, and da 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 da. Like I mean, just the Italians go. Like we, we've absolutely no chance of getting through this match. We were ashamed and dishonoured in our previous. We just want to go home. Like they, they do still have an opportunity to to qualify in this match. It does still keep it competitive. So that's something. Like the, imagine the imagine the Italians knocked out the French in their own tournament. Oh my god! Absolute shocker, Palooza. Mm. 
And you know what the other funny thing about this is? Australia is still hanging around France. They have Australia to. Australia have to stay because they're second at the moment. Portugal uh, beat Fiji. Australia go through. Probably win it. Uh, you oh, think, oh, got them exactly where I wanted them, mate. <laughs> mate, I told you, mate. Shouldn't the doubt of me, mate. Uh, well, Eddie, now, Eddie was playing 4D chess because he got Portugal's hopes up uh, against Fiji, <laughs> but letting them play so well against his Australian team. <laughs> he did, he really gave them, a, gave them a real pat in the back. Oh, you guys are right. Uh, yeah, that's like that. I, again, I didn't see the full match, but like the score is, is, I wouldn't say incredible, extremely surprising to me. I thought there would be a huge backlash from Australia who have a chockload of really fucking good players. And uh, like that, what was it, 33-17? Jesus, like that is not a, that's not a big win. You'd see that sort of, like that's that's a score that can happen in any sort of game. Like that can either be a good win against, you know, for a good team against a good team. But that's the sort of scoreline you see in a, in a game really between like sides who are, you know, within within one sort of ranking point or two ranking points of one another. So it's uh, that Australian team is, Jesus, going nowhere. And the Portuguese look like they have a better coached backline than the... Ajiske is coaching them. Um, did you want to say anything about New Zealand before I took us off course again there? There's no team to be playing. There's no worse team to be playing against when it isn't going for you than the All Blacks. Like what, as much as the South African game is predicated around defence, the, the New Zealand team is just predicated around straight line running, grey hands and a relentlessness. They like they've no interest in in easing up. Yeah, like they're all high fiving each other as they're scoring like seventy something, <laughs> eighty something. Like they're really happy, and you sort of go like no one else does this. And they're great finishers. Like they are. They are. So it's like the teams you don't want to be playing when they're in the mood are New Zealand, France, and at the moment Ireland. But yeah. in that order. But particularly the Kiwis. Right. Well, let's get to Ireland. And the always difficult task of previewing your match of rugby. Oh, God. I've seen now, again, this is me, people attributing stuff to people. One of them was Birch on the podcast, and another one was a commentator who may have been from the North, suggesting that uh, either Robbie Henshaw or Stuart McCluskey should start at 12 in this game. Like, how mental do you have to be to not start Bundiaki in this game? The best player in the World Cup so far, and there's some weird Irish thing where you're like, give someone else a try. What the hell's going on that? Particularly with Bundy, who's a guy who needs matches. Like, Bundy needs to be run out all the time. His biggest, like, for a lot of guys, their fitness concerns is, oh, he might get injured. Like, whereas a Bunzi, you go, he might lose his sharpness. Like, the chances of this bloke picking up an injury are far lower than Gary Ringrose to make the obvious comparison like if they want to give Henshaw a run play him at second centre but don't play him at first centre Bundy needs to be played at every single opportunity we just had a week off pick the strongest yeah, team possible yeah. in a must win game what is this I, I, I once again I feel like there has always been a World Cup 2007 hangover the lads didn't get a game it's not just that there's a, there's all every 
every time that there's about to be a team announced, there's a vast coterie of Irish fans, the majority of Irish fans who want to see change for change's sake. It's not how you it's not how you select a team when you're in at test rugby. You know, to say, as we always say, at least once every week, the job is win today and win tomorrow. So Farrell clearly wants to give himself the best chance of winning. Um, and yeah, people just, a lot of people, and I think it's fair to say people here, the generic amorphous people, they have, they want to see changes for changes sake. Sometimes it's, it's because it's a particularly favorite player of their own. And other times it's because there's a, they have built up a feeling either they've been informed or they come to it themselves that players can get it tired or overplayed and underperform we don't often see it there's very few players you see underperform because of tiredness sometimes if players aren't fit enough running fitness like I thought um and Tonga's not their last match against the South Africans but their previous game Scotland Scotland I thought they looked not fit enough and it wasn't to do with them playing too many games it was that some of their players weren't fit enough they went down to 14 as well but they didn't look fit enough. Uh, they didn't look half as fit in the second half as Scotland did. You could see gaps opening up in their defence. But I don't think players really, uh, especially Northern Hemisphere affairs at this part of the season, I don't think they're going to run out of gas if they're asked to play matches. Between the fact that they're really fit, that generally they've come through a preseason not carrying niggling injuries to be given time off, there is a reasonable amount of time between games and lastly because they'd be chock full of adrenaline I don't think fatigue is an issue at all now uh, don't believe in tempting fate well that's the other reason if people are talking about sorry about what a, a threat Scotland pose there's two reasons firstly Scotland are you know they, they do pose a threat because their back line is, is very very dangerous. And secondly, nobody wants to leave a hostage to fortune or appear boastful. Yes, uh, I absolutely don't and I won't be. I am not like, I don't think I'm pessimistic or optimistic about this World Cup. I'm really trying to take each game as it comes and all that. But the closer the Scotland game gets, the more confident I get that we are going to turn up and perform. And if we do that, they're not going to beat us. Um, the constant talk and again I think a lot of it comes from Irish people who are don't want to um, tempt fate is that Scotland are very good they love it when we talk about how we should beat them how we're going to beat them um, and every time we play against them it's pitched as this is the time that Scotland they're going to catch us off guard and like Scotland are just going to have to like play better than they've played in the whole tournament to beat us. Yeah, well, you made a point to me before this when you were talking about the mood before the 2019 pool opener being exactly the same as this, that this is the time that the Scots might turn us over. This is the big game of the tournament for us, the big game in the group. And we were at that. And... Um, played in torrential conditions. Um, 
but the game was in the bag by 55 minutes. So I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying the game is going to be in the bag by 55 minutes then. But what I am saying is that this feeling, which I have, I get more uh, angsty as the game uh, grows closer. It's not new. It's not necessarily that this is where uh, it's an emotion based on solid reason that this is a great Scotland team. It's because, yeah, it is an important game. And this is more or less what I was feeling four years ago. But I was also shit-faced four years ago when I'm sober now. <laughs> How do you feel about the game as it draws nearer? Objectively, Ireland should win because Ireland consistently produce higher-intensity performance throughout the 80 minutes than Scotland do. So Scotland have a tendency, I would see it, to have like patches in a game. But I think Scotland are too one-dimensional and just don't don't really have the concentration to play at the level that Ireland have played at. So Scotland are a team that can score lots of tries because the one dimension that they play is off in Russell and out wide. So it's 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 a pattern, it's a style of play that produces tries and can produce some absolutely heroic performances. And I think the match that they drew, and a lot of the team has changed, but Finn Russell is is really the the main point of this. The second half that they produced against England and Twickenham four seasons ago now. They drew. They lost thirty six all. Thirty. They they, drew, they got up ahead. They, they got up ahead behind, and then, then conceded. They conceded it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having been dead and buried at half time proves that like this Scottish team can score tries against anyone, like in Twickenham against a really good English team, uh, when the game is that way. And I, I suppose that's the risk when you're playing against Scotland. But then you go, like, have Scotland beaten the Springboks? Had they beaten the All Blacks? You know, had they beaten Ireland that much? Like they beaten France occasionally, beaten England occasionally, but more often than not, like they lose. And you know, I think if you're looking at it objectively, you just go, Ireland have to be the strong favourites. And like Ireland are going in on the back of a two-week break, having beaten the world champions on the last match in an absolutely titanic struggle. Like confidence has to be very high. Scotland are going in against a team that has their number. Um knowing that like, this is really win or bust. Now that, that like, I don't think it means anything more than that. That's just the facts of the matter going into it. And I'll be nervous before the match, but like you, you sort of have to see Ireland play. I think the other, sorry, Ireland, you'd have to think Ireland will win. Um, what a land for the fact that, you know, there is a percentage chance that they may not win. I think the other thing about Scotland is that in common with Ireland, I think Scotland are the sort of team that if you game plan for them, you can beat them. So what I mean by that, and it's something that Des would say, is that, look, in, in rugby, in soccer, like a big team, like in soccer in particular, like a big team like Germany or France, they go to play Ireland. They don't think anything of it. They just go, we're better than them, 1-11, to 11, and we just go like, that'll be enough. We'll like, play our game. We'll play our game and we just beat them. We don't have to worry about them. And more often than not, that's right. Now, occasionally Ireland get a result, 
But like if you're Ireland soccer team and you're playing Germany and it's a World Cup semi-final and the Germans are going, right, this is exactly where they're weakest. This is exactly where we're strongest. We're going to do this to exploit their weakness. We're going to do this to exploit our strengths. Like you're, you're fucked. It's like when the Dutch played us in the second yeah. round back in like... Yeah, like you're just screwed. USA. Like you're, they're just miles better. So mm-hmm. that's, I think that's, that's a strength for Ireland in this one where you sort of, you game plan it and you go, okay, so we know we need to stop Finn Russell. We know we need to exploit this. We know we need to exploit that. And like Ireland would be gunning for Scott and Tear. I guess one of the other things is that people in general, the Irish rugby public is we've, we've no really sort of conception of, of how do you play a knockout tournament? As in like, how do you finish off the last four weeks now in a row? Like our, our preoccupation with getting past a quarterfinal is, is really ridiculous. Like what, what difference does it make? And the way I, one of the ways I think about it is that Ireland, and as everybody listening to this podcast, can recount all the details of all the World Cup campaigns we've had and the various root causes to us not progressing past aforementioned quarterfinal or getting knocked out earlier. I had to go and look up what Scotland's World Cup record was in terms of like when did they when did they reach the knockouts? With twenty teams in it, nineteen of them aren't winning. Can you like can you remember what happens to any of them? You remember what happens to your own and you think, oh, this is the dominant narrative. Like, look, pretty much every team loses in the World Cup. That's the point. One team wins it and the rest of them just fall by the wayside. You, you can maybe remember the Kiwis because, like, their matches are more prominent. So four more years, boys, in 2003. The Joubert forward pass in 2007. Them stumbling over the line with, uh, was it the Michelac forward pass too? Yeah, it was Wayne Barnes refereeing. Wayne anyway, Barnes yeah. refereeing, yeah. Um, Joubert refereeing them in 2011 with Kaino with his hands on the ball, like, you know. Richie McCall up. winning in a broken foot. Richie McCall winning a broken foot, 2015. Best team of all time. Best team of all time. 2019, getting destroyed by Manitoulagi and the English. So you can remember the All Blacks, right? You can't remember the rest of them. No, like, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I don't really remember who and Josian was the guy not Schubert yeah Josian was the guy who did Australia beat in the 2015 semi Australia or Argentina Argentina because they knocked us in Argentina oh fuck yeah I was at I was couldn't there. give away the tickets yeah and Argentina weren't in it ever mm. Argentina started off well having beaten Scotland by a point in that really controversial where again Joubert legged it off the pitch at oh the end yes, of it, yes yes yeah, yeah, in the yeah, quarterfinal yeah. the same yes. day that we got beat by Argentina Argentina weren't in that match against Australia okay I do remember that one, funny enough. You know, so like, but that's not that long ago. Like, like. So, so, so to bring it back, you go, oh, you know, I don't think we should play these players in case they get injured. And you're there going, like, it, it, it doesn't matter. This is this is one of the things that Andy Farrell is was saying. So Andy Farrell, like, when Keane Healy gets injured, he's just like, you know, look, it's we're really disappointed for Keane on a personal level, but like, this happens. Players get injured. You just like get on with it. This, this is a feature of the game. Like, it isn't even I'm being phlegmatic about it. This, this is, of course, like, we sort of, we, one yeah. of them is going to get injured, more than might get injured. We don't know which one. We just have to get on and play the next game, win today, win tomorrow. And you, you, you're also in this situation with Ireland where you're going, if one of our players gets injured, we can bring Keane Healy back into the squad. Like, he's posted on, phys, like, he's, he's posted on social media the fact that he's fit. They've mentioned in the press conferences the fact that, like, no, he's fit. Like, he's, he's there, you know? So, you're kind of going, 
what's what's your best case scenario here? Like, who do you, you know, who do we want to get injured? So, like, say say Jack Conan now, say his his foot just doesn't recover, and he hasn't been involved, and he's going home, and we call up Keane Healy. Like, is is that the worst thing in the world? It's bad mm-hmm. for Jack Conan. You wouldn't wish it on him, but like, sure, he's he hasn't played in the tournament at all, you know. So, again, that's a sideshow. To win it now, everything is knockout for Ireland. And they have to win four matches in a row. And yeah, grand, we get through the quarterfinal against the All Blacks. And then you lose against two Wales. Like, what? Is that is that a really good result? Is that a big positive? That's, That's exactly what I was absolute thinking. Absolute disaster. Like, it, it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're looking at as a tournament with pretensions that you've got to win, you're sort of going, ooh, the, the quarterfinals is, is kind of a tricky one because, like, up... Not that it's a tricky one, not that it's any more tricky than the semis. It's just that in cup match rugby, anything can happen. And I guess with Ireland going into Scotland, anything can happen. But on the balance of probability, Ireland win this one. Because they're better. They're more confident. They, like, they're on a 16-match winning streak. Their team has got more intensity. It's got more depth to it. The Irish provinces have our Leinster, who are supremely competitive, even though they haven't won anything in two seasons, and Munster, who won the league that they play in, the Scottish provinces, regions, are Glasgow and Edinburgh. One of whom, you know, like gets beaten in the knockouts. One of them doesn't qualify for the knockouts and their best player is an Argentinian. So again, objectively, you're looking at it and you're going, Ireland really should win this match. But they have to approach it like a knockout match and they have to put out as good a team as they can and basically just take it. Take it away from them. So, like, I think what Scotland will try to do is they'll try to hold up. If if they play like they did in the Six Nations, um, I think they'll try to hold Ireland up in tackles. They'll try to compete a lot at the breakdown and they'll try to attack through Finn Russell. Um, I suppose they'll try to get Duan van der Merwe one-on-one against Hugo Keenan in terms of like in the air. Um, and I guess they'll they'll go for the ball on the deck an awful lot because Scottish teams always do. Mm-hmm. But like I said, after the Scotland-South Africa match, like I think the worst thing that happened to Scotland was that they got that penalty right at the end of half time, and they let out this massive emotional release and they just couldn't back up the intensity in the second half. So... Scotland need to keep that level of concentration all the way through the game. And on the balance of evidence, Ireland are the team that's more capable. Yeah, they'll try and play their two front their two starting props as well for as long as they can because when that bench comes on and now they're down to a guy who's potentially even a sixth choice hooker in Scotland sitting on their bench, as well as you know, um, WP Nell and I don't even know who they brought off as as uh, the other sub prop. Like you saw against South Africa, that just they just went backwards from then on. So it's uh, I think I think Ireland's forwards, just, you know, Ireland's starting pack literally one to eight is better in every position than the Scottish starting pack. I think that's where the big difference is going to be. There's every few- every position. Yeah. Um. France Italy is has the possibility of being a fascinating match. Squeaky bone time for France. Yeah. With Luku starting. Yeah. In that the Italians can't surely 
can't be as bad for two weekends in a row. And like the Italians aren't that bad a team. So again, like the difference in momentum, if, if the Italians were to start off well and get a few breaks and for their game plan to prove effective um, and for the French not to be, you know, at the tenor of the match, it could get really nervy for France. Now, I, to be honest, I would have said, geez, the same with New Zealand. Like, mm. although the, the Kiwis would trust their fitness and trust their ability to score, but that the Italians have a good enough pack to be competitive and, and might get scores. So look, while it's it's difficult for me to say at one side of a match that objectively the Scots should lose to Ireland, but then objectively, like objectively the Italians, of course, should lose to the French. And they should probably lose by about 25 points because they're playing France in France. But there is the possibility that the Italians stick it to them. And then the other one is our Japan, Argentina, which is which is live. Yeah, and that's winner takes it all. Winner does take it all, yeah. So it's, it's a real sort of failure success of your tournament match just to get through that. Thought the Japanese were better against uh, Samoa than the Argentines were. Yeah, I from that from the part, pieces I saw of that game, um, and the Japanese showed some elements of like their elaborate back play against England, so they just kept on dropping the ball as well. Yeah, which was also the, the Argentine performance. Like their performance against England shows that the heart can go right out of them. You know, someone someone can someone can snatch the heart out of them, and they will go away. And very similar to the Italians against uh, the Kiwis. Mm. The difference being that, like, the Kiwis would just score a shitload of tries. Yeah, and England, and England at that stage especially, like, they were struggling to score. Well, they didn't score they tries. They didn't score any game, tries, yeah. But they were struggling to score tries in all their games. Yeah. Now, they did look better against Japan, but again, like, For Japan... The first 40 minutes, though, like... After, after the Marler header. Yeah. Before that, they didn't. Good process, mate. So, uh, call the old final lineup of the uh, of the quarterfinals. Maybe I will. France beat Italy, top of the pool. Kiwis finish second. France play South Africa because Ireland beat Scotland. And then on the other side, Japan are going to beat Argentina and get out of the group again. Play Wales. They'll play Wales, who win the group. And Fiji. And I think Fiji will just about beat Portugal, but I think they will absolutely shit their way through it again, frankly. Yeah. Portuguese must be knackered as well. They're like, but the Fijians, I think, are like, they're, you know, we're kind of historically bad at being favorites or was it getting used to it now? Like they're terrible at being favorites. Everyone just started tipping them. They're like, oh God, no. <laughs> Give them, put us back to being underdogs. Uh, so I think they'll get past Portugal. And but, play England. And play England. And, uh, Maybe they'll have a cut or maybe they'll think we beat England before the World Cup and they'll they'll sort of like the nervous energy of getting through all those games in the way they did nervously in all of them, I think. Um, even the Aussie one, I think England will <clears throat> be playing. England will be through on that side. Hmm. Wales, Japan, England, Fiji. Who'd have thunk it? Absolutely. Not me. 